Hey, Matt. Hey, Ben. Well, how's it going over there in Ontario? Oh, it's been quite the the lagging winter. It seems that summer is just taking its sweet time arriving and we're just fully skipping beautiful spring. But I feel like it must be the complete opposite over there in Victoria. Isn't it wild talking about weather? I, uh, I had a friend over uh, earlier in the week and we were at this dodgeball tournament in January. Actually, Francis, our general manager, came along with me. And uh, it was, there was a snowstorm on the way and and ferries were canceled it was it was windy snowy and and then we had our tournament and you know you go outside and you're out in the snow and you're like oh wow we're in the west coast in snow and then it snowed and windstormed again so we were delayed that sunday evening getting back to the island and i was joking with my buddy i was like remember when that could have been the story of our year <laughs> like like as west coast people like weather could really define your year you could be like hey Ben, like I heard about, you know, the winter of 1997. Like, can you tell me a story about it? And I thought the, you know, the winter storm of 2020 was going to be the newsmaker of the year for us. Uh, it's so funny with uh, all these news articles coming out of like, you know, the Pentagon releases photos of UFOs and killer bees are spotted in the West Coast of like the Cascadia region. And everybody's like, ugh, that's old. Like, who cares? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a write-off as a, of a year is like what I've been saying. Oh, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge politics nerd. And I've had extra doses of it because I'm also a sports nerd and there's nothing going on there uh, except for maybe politics. And it was just been so wild to be like, you know, that the U.S. attorneys have decided to not charge the guy that they, you know, have re previously convicted. Uh, and you're like, wait, Flynn is, what's going on? Like, and no one cares. Um, just, to, just to see how numb to regular news we are right now. Oh, it's so true. And it's funny because my line for like the last maybe week or so has just been, oh my goodness, can you believe we're almost 10 weeks into... Yeah working from home, self-isolation, quarantine. And I think that leads well into like kind of our first topic. I feel like, especially us in the fundraising world, we're still moving 100 miles per minute, even though this isn't a sprint. It's kind of a marathon and the defining factor of maybe the next year or two. Oh, yeah. It's a wild thing in the, the, the new normal, unprecedented <laughs> challenges. I call it the new precedent. I had a long debate with a buddy of mine about what's happening with the economy and, you know, because he's like, hey, we're, we're in another bubble because the economy seems to be going down while the stock market is going up. Mm -hmm. And it was just a, like, well, what's, what was overvalued before? And I was like, I think what was undervalued was cleanliness and our, our attachment to one another. And I was like, so I think things are actually going up in value that were previously externalities. Again, I know nothing about the stock market and this is not a podcast about investing. But like, I don't know about you, has your spending changed much in the last while? You know, it's funny because I feel like I'm noticing it now. Expenses really went down for people who are working from home who had previously, you know, maybe gone for a happy hour, gone to like commuted into work, paying for gas, whatever it might be. And so that all stopped. And I don't think people were really realizing that this would be kind of two months, kind of when it all began. And now two months later, it's like, oh, I have some extra cash in the bank account. And I think for myself anyways, I don't know about others, but I feel like now's the time I've really been noticing. It's like, 
oh, it seems like my cash flow is caught up with the fact that my expenses went down quite a lot two months earlier. You know what I mean? You know, it's a, been a funny one for me because I've had the best like cash flow of my life the last <laughs> few months. I, you know, it's like hit 34 and go like, and then with my job, I love to travel. And I've discovered my extroversion in my 30s. And just like, I would like to, to socialize with people as my entertainment. And, and that's meant like beers in the pub. I, I love it so much. You know, 200 calories and $7 a drink. Didn't mind it. If that was the cost of fulfillment in my life kind of thing. It's funny that I did it before the coronavirus hit. To be like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going out to bars and, and pubs and eating out and, and I'm going to be making all my own meals and staying yeah. inside and doing nothing, possibly taking up video gaming to fill that time when I'm not with my kids. And then, you know, the, the worst part of that, though, is FOMO, where you're like, mm. oh, you know, I could just be sauntering down to the pub right now and uh, just, you know, send a, send a message and, you know, hang out with a buddy kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, it's like they all shut down in solidarity. And I was thinking about summer, and it's been an interesting, like, spending so much time with my kids right now. This idea of voluntary back to school is, is like, okay, well, I don't know if three or four weeks in June is worth at halftime them going to school. And sure enough, their baseball was canceled and, and summer camp, so, like, Things I spent money on months ago are being put back into my bank account. Yeah. And, and so I, you and I have been talking about this. I, I've been trying to put it in more time into my LinkedIn. I, I had to delete most of my about because I wrote it when I was a, but a, a wee 24-year-old a decade ago. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's not really relevant anymore. And when you, when you start LinkedIn, if you're, you know, me, I, I did it when I was like 20, when I was you know, getting into the job market kind of thing. And LinkedIn is, and it was at the time I was like a new person on LinkedIn and, and I really haven't put much time into it since. So it was, it was interesting to start communicating on it and then see that it's like, this is where professionals might be speaking, not just like where people are on a jump hunt kind of thing. I like, I had a funny moment, like telling our team to be like, Hey guys, update your LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying like, get ready for you know, your next job. I'm saying like, this is our public persona, right? Yeah. Um, so then I start making posts and Matt, we could get into this, but like, I, I won't tell you the secret sauce that made this, this post go viral. <laughs> but what was fun was on a Saturday morning, I was thinking about it. I was like, like, I have as much or more money than I've ever had in my life. I, I've invested all of my money in one high risk stock so to speak, being my own company. And uh, in the future, I'm going to put it in the stock market. I'll tell you that. But um, this, again, this is not advice. Diversify might be advice. But I was like, okay, so I, you know, the stock market you know, decline didn't hurt me. And I've been wearing like beach shorts and t-shirts. And it's, it's wild. Most of the spending on my kids is like, guys, like we just hang out together now. And our big, you know, keeping up appearances, so to speak, stuff of being a good dad was like, well, there's money in the bank now. And, and like the last one is like, I have some debts and I was like, the interest payments have never been lower. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, what costs for me have gone up? If anything, I've been starting to spend money. Um, we got this fresh prep service that we tried out, not a, not a sponsor yet. And I was like, oh, this is fun. It's not cheap groceries, but it's like a, a cheap 
fine dining experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny too, in terms of, you know, for anyone who hasn't really seen Ben and I work together, you know, it's kind of, you know, creative office. This is probably similar amongst any kind of maybe marketing agency, but, you know, it's a lot of creative, quiet introverts, you know, wonderful at their job, but in terms of highly competitive or like to get in each other's face, it's pretty much just Ben and I are the only kind of social butterflies, kind of like sports extroverted kind of individuals in the office. So we've been, uh, you know, this first post aside, Ben just kind of posted on LinkedIn saying, you know, like, dear charity, take my money, you know, I'm saving money on this and that and this. And I think it is true. And just this idea of we're in the middle of something that's comparing it to the Spanish flus is about as makes no sense in terms of, yeah, like things have changed in terms of like how this will affect the economy and the political landscape and yada, 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 yada. But it is interesting in terms of if you didn't lose your job off the bat and not to say that's not important or un, like not being recognized, but for those people, you know, ourselves included, who are kind of now working from home, maybe saving a bit of money on insurance, not doing laundry as much, high rates are down. Maybe our like available income to kind of, you know, be donating and be kind of spending that in, you know, ways that bring us joy. That idea of going back to FOMO, this is something we just talked about with a client that a lot of people are kind of looking to be a part of something, I think. And I think it's a good time for charities to get their message out and just go, hey, like you can be a part of something great. And, you know, if you do it well and you show donors, it's a lot more fulfilling than me just buying an extra whatever it may be and having an extra material possession in my house. Absolutely. And like, yeah, who's kidding who? We, we know that unemployment has reached like record highs. This is sort of my crazy theory. It's a tough time. There's two parts to this. One, it's a tough time to look at surveys and be like, oh, I, I, it was in um, Victoria uh, Buzz yesterday and I, I made the mistake, Matt, and this is, this is advice. Don't comment on news. <laughs> Because it was like, I don't like the sensational headlines, right? And it was like 23% feel as if they may not last more than six months at this rate. And it was talking about nonprofits. One in five nonprofit organizations risk closing down due to pandemic. And I was like, what? Like, Matt, this is like 20% of the, the nonprofit industry of which our entire careers are based out of. Is this news to you? Like, and I built a fundraising business in this city. And, and so then I clicked on it because I was like, holy. And according to a survey conducted by the, the equivalent of uh, Volunteer Vancouver, but they were so cool, they called themselves Vantage Point. 15 to 19% of the province's nonprofits are facing potential closure, with 23% feeling like they may not last more than six months. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, we're upset kind of thing. But I was like, wow, like I, that doesn't reconcile with I know about the truth. And it's like maybe by volume. And anyways, of course, sensational headline, right? And so I made the mistake of going like, nah, this is fake news. I didn't quite use that word. Actually, some might even be thriving this time around. And boy, did I get some responses. <laughs> so anyways, it was like we know that like not everyone is, is prospering. We also know that not everyone is in a disadvantageous situation. And it might be that spending is changing. Yeah. And that sort of thing. And, and I, I don't know if our economy 
you know, if it declines and yet like the stock market increases that like, we're kind of going, Hey, you know, some, the way the, the people with money have money still like this is, I'm not a big fan of this, but like wealth inequality is a thing. Right. And those people with tons of money still have it and they didn't need the job before and they still have their job mm-hmm. because it, it wasn't food delivery kind of thing. It, it wasn't pouring drinks at the bar like my buddy Kyler kind of thing. And if anything, I, I could imagine us now wanting a certified COVID free chef to come into our house and, you know, do a dinner party, you know, like the, the upper middle class, I think is going to start to do things in sort of more like secure, private, you know, cleanliness oriented ways. Anyways, that's my conspiracy theory for the week. Uh, oh, you wanted to make a bet and you thought about this some because I'm taking my vanity to LinkedIn and I want to be more popular than you and, and this is the internet. And, and so kids these days, how do, how do we want to measure this? Oh boy. Yeah. So I think that's the key, right? You know, yeah. if we tried to get others in on the office, maybe Innis, but for the most yeah. part, we're probably playing by ourselves. But this is what I'm thinking. You know, we both love a nice cold drink. You're going alcohol free at the moment. I totally respect that. And you have a bigger, you know, you've been in the industry longer than I have and you have more connections. So you kind of have a bit of a head start. So I'm thinking rather than try to, you know, give me a head start or anything like that, we just make the proportion of like the ratio, the betting odds kind of in my favor. So every month, if we kind of engage with the friends in the fundraising world, whoever kind of gets more engagement, you know, we'll set up some metrics through likes, views, whatever it might be, kind of takes the, the win each month. So I'm thinking I treat you to a nice six pack of alcohol-free Heineken's Nice cold. I'll have someone drop them off at your door on ice. But if I win, it's a 12-pack of the real thing, and it's craft. What do you think? Done deal. You heard right. it here first. <laughs> so I guess we'll tune in after Sabbath, which you know is kind of not just Sunday for us this week anyways, for us frontier folks, frontierios. But yeah, Ben, maybe we start the competition after that. But maybe let's just uh, pass it over to you, I think. It's a funny world we live in and that we're 60 days into this. And I think our team has kind of been responding, you know, changing things. And I had a moment of like an epiphany this week of like, holy crap, I've just been running around and this isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. It's the defining factor of our year. So I think we're all overdue for a bit of rest. And I think a lot of people are struggling to use their vacation time because it's like, Ugh, what do I do? Because, you know, vacations usually associated with doing things, being outdoors, going on a trip, whatever it might be. But the frontier folks get to kind of take a week away and just focus on one thing, rest. Maybe uh, tell us a bit more about that and where that came from and how you started it. Yeah. So I, again, I, I like to think of principles and structures. And even though, you know, we're just rats in a cage, I, I wanted to think of like, okay, well, there's some things going on here, which is we're constantly putting our, our shoulder to the, the grindstone here and working away. And we want to do that. We don't want to think of ourselves as victims that are like, oh man, woo is us. And we, we're, we're sacrificing for the cause. And having worked in the charitable industry, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's kind of like a dangerous drug uh, where you're like, oh, look at us sacrificing. And like, Matt, why aren't you sacrificing as much as I am? 
And you kind of like, you, you start to lose your bearings of like what sacrifice is. And, you know, we see this blown out big time when we talk about compensation. You know, like, look how much this nonprofit CEO makes. It's almost 10% of what the CEO of RBC makes in a month. And you're like, this guy, <laughs> like, where does he get off? Anyway, so um, that's one part of it is we're like homesteaders here. We're, we follow the sun's pattern. You know, now that May has hit us, we're not thinking about summer. We're thinking about fall harvest. And, uh, you know, we even hear that some of our competitors are producing Christmas-themed campaigns right now, even though, who's kidding who, as if we know what Christmas is going to be like yet. You know, they're not a sponsor of this podcast, I'll tell you that. But uh, so we want to make sure to be mindful that time isn't created equal. And you can't put in 100% every day or you'll burn out. We've seen that from Michael Jordan. That, that, that guy kept running out of energy after just giving his all day in, day out. And the other part of it is like, well, aren't we talking about a vacation here, right? Sabbath is a little bit different. The idea of taking rest and letting things be because you can. So I don't know about you, but I'm like not really calling this a vacation week next week. And in fact, thanks to my middle age, I might just spend the week on a bicycle. But the fact that we do it together and then we tell our clients like, hey, we're going to be taking this week of rest. Uh, I think Frontier is the best employee that anyone ever hires. And all Frontier does is take one week off a year in May. And basically it's a half week because you know, it's May 2-4, so to speak, because the founder is a little bit cheap. And so like when, when the nice thing is when you all take it off together, you know, I'm not expecting you know, 10 emails from Matt, right? This is your third Sabbath. The Sabbath was always different for me because everyone else would go and do their things and I'd, I'd be on uh, pager duty. And, and Matt, a pager, it's a small device that uh, mo most common around doctors in the 90s. I bet when you were born, the person giving birth to you had a pager on. Anyways, this pager duty is just like, if there's an emergency, I get called. Um, fortunately, there's never been great emergencies. But uh, what have you been up to in the last couple of Sabbaths? Uh, I just had to throw the, the pager duty joke in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny too, because this is kind of, I'll quickly go down this side path, but it's just earlier this week, you were like, Matt, this is a copywriter. And it was like a meme of like a magazine or something like that you're looking at. So uh, for our listeners, it's pretty much this ongoing joke that, you know, Ben's, the funny thing is you're young, like, you know, what I mean? like mid -30s, and you just rip on me all day. of like, oh, look at this little child. But anyways, it's, yeah. it's all good. But, um, you know, I think for me, the first Sabbath, Macy kind of worked out of the school. She was like an educational assistant. And the first one I was like, okay, Macy's not working. And I think we all have this preconceived notion of like what a vacation is. And it's like where you do things, you're out, you spend your money that you spend the rest of the year, you know, building up so you can have a nice vacation. And I was kind of like, oh, geez, I guess I'm just kind of sitting at home. Originally, I was trying to plan some things, but it's not like anybody else besides having the long weekend is off during the week. So really, I kind of ended up just like, you know, spending a lot of time outdoors and that sort of thing and doing what I might have done on during the weekend, but just having the whole week to like do it each day. And if anything, maybe build like a, a small new kind of daily habit just with seven days to kind of go, okay, what do I want from this? But more than anything, I think what really struck out to me is I came back feeling rested. And it's like you said, when I went to open my email, it took maybe 20 minutes to go through and I was like, okay, great. 
versus typically it's you come back, okay, Matt, like you need to do this because, you know, this happened while you were gone. It's like a continual theme that we all experience when we do a regular vacation. So it was kind of like, you know, you, you were kind of standing there with a the clicker, you press pause, and then we all walked away. We all came back and it was as if maybe you missed 10 minutes of work to go to the washroom and grab a coffee yeah. versus just that idea of being gone for a whole week. And I think our clients love it. And I don't even think often they're jealous. I just think they, I think a lot of nonprofits love the idea of rest and taking time for it, just given the work they do and that idea of like the social impact aspect of it, of like, hey, it's triple bottom. We do the work we do. We care about our people. So for me, it was even just a delightful surprise the first year to tell clients and go, oh, are they going to be like, they haven't been around with Frontier for a full year yet. So this is new to them too. What are they going to think? And yeah. all of them were like, hey, that's great. Enjoy. No, we won't have any emergencies, but thanks for including that email anyways. So like that idea of don't worry about us, like enjoy. I think for me, it was just, wow. Like it's pretty cool. Me being like loving the client facing stuff, just to be able to work with partners to kind of go, hey, we're going to take a break for rest. So ultimately four months down the stretch, we can serve you better. Yeah, it was cool. Like I just think initially you pump it up in your brain to be kind of worse than it is. and maybe even that's a theme of this season in general. But I think it's just that idea of like, wow, it was cool to be able to just step away and feel like time was frozen and come back together as a team and not feeling overwhelmed with the work we were missing, but just, hey, we're all coming back and it's not like anything had changed from the two Fridays before. I love it. What we actually do like, and with this process is we're conditioning values in our community, right? and saying that we value taking this time away and the need to step back. And if our clients are like, this is lame, keep working. Be like, oh, actually you don't, you don't share our values. Maybe you should go with one of the many other direct response agencies that uh, raise tens of millions of dollars for charities and help them grow year in, year out. Have fun, right? Like it, we need to safeguard our sanity and, and our sort of reason for being. So yeah. And what's wild for me is uh, I would go to Vancouver each year and, you know, likely I'd have a couple of meetings and uh, take it easy. My uh, daughter, Ellie, she's May 2-1 for her birthday. So, oh, nice. so we would go to the Vancouver Aquarium. So it's an odd time is that we're, you know, you and I are, are kind of in communication with them and trying to help raise funds for them. It's been fun for me to go like, oh, hey, this year I'm probably just going to adopt one of Ellie's chosen aquarium animals. And then at a later time visit, and you know, not a sponsor of the podcast, but I hope we get to, to visit there soon. And for any of our listeners, there's, there's two reasons why I, I make this joke with Matt. And I love jokes that I never stop. And I have an ex-girlfriend that uh, she was a few years younger than me and she was turning like 26. And I was like, hey, you're in your mid-20s now. And she's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, yeah, you're basically in your late 20s, actually. And so every year on her birthday, and we've, we've been broken up for years, it's like, hey, like you are definitely in your late 20s now. And then I was like, you are basically 30. And she just, she appreciated the fact that I, I just kept the gag going. And when Matt joined, so Jamie and I, my ex-wife, we named our first son Henry. And then a week later, she's like, I'm not feeling it. I want to call him Matthew. And she was very particular. It was Maddie or Matthew and never Matt. And so when you joined, you're like, hey, I'm Matt. I was like, oh, that works because like my son's Matthew or Maddie. So like if I say the word Matt, I only think of you. Yeah, yeah. 
and yet it you know comes up so often so sometimes i jokingly say your name matthew when i'm i'm kind of hinting to my work son and uh, it's funny because uh, rosie uh, one of the kind of co-producers of this has uh, knows a matt back in australia and i was like uh, your matt our office matt my matt like <laughs> just i've had to deal with a common name and of course you've got one as well but enough about us do we have any listener mail um, so yeah i think we're uh, it's a good time to maybe jump to our next segment so you know i was excited to go into our junk mail at frontier.io email to kind of look at all the questions that have been brought in but uh, maybe a quick nudge nudge to the frontier team i think they might have been busy kind of wrapping up yeah. projects because it was looking a bit bare but hey that's okay i always have questions for you ben like okay. i think okay. what's been on my mind is you know originally i was like oh you know people are at home i wonder how many people are like more people are picking up an acquisition piece or taking a read, you know, looking at the back, feeling things like how a chance to kind of look at what a, like a bounce back might be if they had never really engaged with direct mail before kind of gone right into the bin. And I was kind of like, man, we talk about like this idea of having a story built brand and just maybe even referencing back to Donald Miller and his book, but just that idea of telling our client stories is ultimately what we do. We don't make up the story, nor is it our story to tell, but just telling it in the best way. But it was interesting just to think, wow, like in a time like this, but even, you know, in general, just the idea of like longer appeal letters yep. and just getting your thoughts on when is maybe that the right strategy? Not to say it's, you know, always should be one page front and back or two pages front and back, but I'd be curious on like what you think when those should be used, when they're effective, how they can be more effective and like maybe more practically, what would that look like? And just your overarching thoughts on longer appeal letters and when they might work best. Well, uh, thank you, Matthew, for your letter that you've written to me. And uh, I, I respond to all my fan mail. Thank you. Junk mail at frontier.io. We're also looking for a sponsor of that. I did reach out to a very prominent crown corporation and said like, hey, uh, you guys are responsible for a lot of mail. Uh, would you like to be the sponsor of this? And they definitely did not like the association with the word junk mail. And uh, so if you're someone else that likes to sponsor our, our inbox, go ahead. No. So one of the things that when we're talking about direct mail, it's two things. One is if you're not sending mail, send mail and then optimize it. So I remember a decade ago saying to one of our board of directors, like, hey, like you could squiggle some notes on a piece of paper and then send it to your donors and, and you're good. From there, you need to optimize. And so uh, one of the ways to optimize is to test. And I would love for us to have a client that wants to test out a longer letter versus a more standard short front back page letter. And that's the control is start doing your fundraising and then you have the control. And then if you have a great idea, instead of being like, oh, well, let's just change what we were doing and try the other thing. So if we wanted to test our standard two pager versus like a four page letter or two printed pieces of paper, I would, I would want a situation where more like backstory could be told. And so like uh, we have a client that's they're a hundred years old and the coronavirus is happening and you're like, Oh wow. Like they do work in Ukraine. And I don't know if you've got your history books set, Matt, but like the Ukraine isn't a hundred years old, you know, technically speaking. And so we could talk about the need for food delivery and security now and go like a hundred years ago, this is what was going on. Like we've been having to solve logistical challenges before the internet, before FedEx, before Matt, like when I was going to college, 
Dropbox didn't exist. I had to email files to myself. I'm not saying I suffered. And, and again, a theory here that we'd love to test out is I, I would love to write a letter to 75-year-old Ben and just be like, hey, remember that kid, Matt, at your office? Boy, he didn't even understand the challenges that you faced when back in the day kind of thing, right? And you could just be back in the day, back in the day, and then be like, well, hey, this is what we're dealing with right now. And I think we have it covered. We've been doing this for 100 years. And as much as what we're experiencing right now, like our body feels it's unique. But it's like, oh, man, this is the new normal kind of thing, right? Like, think of what the queen has been through. And, and so I, I kind of think it's like, what if you were writing a letter to someone who just would love reading about it and going, like, yeah, man, we've got it covered. I'm part of whatever list, which means I'm a part of a community that's going to overcome even this challenge. Yeah, well said. Well, I think too, that's like something we've been talking about. And we mentioned it last episode, leadership. And it was cool. Like you had a great example of just great direct marketing and kind of just because, you know, thinking about direct sales is part of direct marketing, but, you know, maybe focusing on direct response within that. It's interesting just to think about it like great public speaking and, you know, like, wow, like how much would we pay to hear Obama speak about this event right now? You know what I mean? Like just as a great public speaker, it'd be like, wow. Or imagine if the Obama Foundation, like we could be on their mail list, even if it's asking us for money, I'd be like, wow, that would just be amazing to get updates that way, especially for, you know, individuals who can't be on Zoom, like, or in meetings or uh, like have kids at home, just that idea of thinking of the 50 plus individuals and what something like that would mean to them. I think it's just cool to think about ultimately what is the message within our work. And I think regardless of whether it's two page or four page, ultimately it's what is your message and to what's your message to that audience. But I think that's like a really cool way of phrasing it to be able to zoom in on the history, especially within like, oh, I know, you know, this charity, but how much do I know about their work here? And I think sometimes charities can shy away from talking about new programs or programs that are maybe a bit more like complex and hard to explain. And it's not to say the story should be more complicated, but I think ultimately donors just care like why you need them. And that's, you know, in different ways donors are needed. So it's not, it's just about kind of crafting your message to reflect that and bringing that context if needed. But I think that's like a cool way of phrasing it. People are engaged with the story, especially when you tell it in like a thoughtful, emotionally provocative uh, way. Well, and you hit the keyword there, which is story. You know, the clients we work with, you know, the, the complicated programs and they spend millions of dollars in their respective fields. And so if we're not talking about, hey, for three bucks, you can, you can provide a meal. The story tends to get, you know, programmatic and detailed. And yeah. how do you help an individual through recovery or many other societal areas where charitable money is spent? The temptation is to be like, this is how our programs run. And take a look, it's pretty expensive. <laughs> like, it's just like somehow it's just that's the fundraising story versus like, you know, if we're like the original fundraiser, if we're kind of like, if Jesus is going to tell you about a really difficult to understand thing, 
is it going to be just a long you know sermon on like this is my dissertation or is it going to be a story that even a child can understand yeah uh, do i want to make it a credibly accessible story that i can attach that story to a greater thing or concepts and i think that's the the issue is like if you want to show something and and so melissa did some research for us and thank you melissa and uh, so we're somewhat prepared and Jeff Brooks, the most famous fundraising web writer I know, wrote down a couple of theories why. And one of them was the, the gravitas theory. Like, it's a long letter. It must be important. And I love that. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Matt, sit down. I have a few things to talk to you about. This is incredibly important. If it's like, hey, you know, coronavirus is out and hospitals need money. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If it's like, hey... Haiti is needing your money more than ever. Like, why? Like, let's go on, right? Uh, and if this is important, like, capture my attention, right? Yeah. Um, versus like, yeah, yeah, you don't need to know. Like, it's, it's no big deal. Like, you probably don't care about Haiti anyway, so you probably just care about yourself. Versus like, hey, I need to take four pages to tell you about what's happening right now. A story that is relevant to you and that you can really feel and then link that to what's happening in the moment. And if you sent $300, you're a hero. Maybe that does take four pages to get across. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, in terms of acquisition. And we talk about new donors. They might not actually be your donor till they kind of talk the talk a little bit. They give like one or two donations. That kind of shows they're giving to you and not just using you as like the vessel to give to the cause. And I think you've kind of talked about this with some clients and it was kind of interesting for me to listen to the background. And I think that's really important and like something I wouldn't want to get lost here and us both, I should say, talking about programs and not diving into the programmatic details, but also not talking about multiple things, not trying to squish five different stories into one. And just that idea of like, hey, here's the story. This is what your gift can do for like this individual. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a basic need. It might be good to do a basic need if you're just showing how what $20 can do, but for like $2,000, it's ultimately still just about the story. And if it was like major gift acquisition, it's still just in some ways, not them giving to the organization, but using the trusted organization to give to the cause and giving a substantial gift as a result. And it's cool just to see and think about it in that way of like, even if we're talking about more complex things, it's still about the story and it's still about using just the one story to convey what the ask is. Like, this is what 300 bucks do. And I, I wouldn't want that to get lost here just as we're discussing just that idea of that the organization is the vessel to the cause in some ways, especially for new donors. Yeah. Hey, I, I got a question for you and, you know, we, we don't want to be too critical of our peers, but um, Shay on our team, she showed me a fundraising letter that, she thought she was pretty poor. And I asked her why. Because, like, we don't know. And, like, it's a letter written to other individuals. Like, you can't say it's wrong per se, but we do want to be critical here. And so there, there was a line. And I, I want to ask, it's like, what do you think of this, this phrase here? Is I'm writing to ask you to help a homeless person in our city. And when you help them, you'll help yourself. Since your donation slows the spread of the virus. And we are all in danger. You know, and again, taking some risks here because that's someone else's art and I, I want to respect it, but I don't like it. Shay didn't like it. I'm not sure that 
supports the society that I want? Mm-hmm. Does, like what, what human nature does that speak to that make, make me want to be generous? I don't know. You can you, you put a positive shine on things. And instead of us getting you know, sued for, for speaking our opinion about other people's materials that go into homes, so it's publicly available material. But yeah, what would we say if we were coaching the person that wrote this? I, I don't know if I would use that phrase, but what, what about you? Maybe like, is there something that comes to mind for you? Well, for me, it's just you're overcomplicating it. At the end of the day, and you know, you've said this before, like people who are homeless on the streets, this exasperates it a bit. But it's still just if I give to your organization, I still just care about like people living on the streets and the fact that they still need daily meals throughout this. But it's not to re just like add COVID into your story just for the sake of it. I think it can be used to add momentum. Like it's just wow, in a crisis, you realize what's important to you. Like your values come out, I think, more than they might usually. So even reading that sentence, I'm confused of like, wait, endangers me. And ultimately, I want to be the hero for someone else. You know what I mean? This isn't about me. It's me trying to be selfless and show my love and be a a loving force. Generosity is a vessel of which I do that. That's why so many charitable giving reports kind of talk about, okay, which country is the most charitable? And the U.S. might have the most dollars, but they might not be in first because in Canada, we might have more people volunteering. And it's ultimately just like, Giving is one way to show your generosity, and it's a really important way and yeah. really effective if we're diving into the program side of fundraising and that sort of thing. But I think for me, it's just what's your message and show me how I can help and be part of the story versus don't make it about me if, for just the sake of it. Yeah. And like this is just so everyone knows, like we don't need to like euthanize homeless people. We don't need to do anything with other people to protect ourselves right now. That's the thing I'm reading here. If I'm reading it right, it's like, Hey, you know, like we need to give these people some food or else they might break into your home. We are all in danger right now, Matt. I was like, Holy, I don't, if one of our copywriters had written that, I I would have asked if they presumed that was the values of, of the organization or, if they were working out their own theory of civil society and just recently watched an episode of the walking dead or something, um, you gotta get or get got Matt. (laughs) You know, it's a great point too. We talk about just like, you can't get everybody, you know what I mean? Like, so don't try that. Um, If I give to your organization, it's because I care. It's not because I'm like, well, you better deal with these homeless people because I can't, but it's just because I'm a generous person and your story inspires me. And I think it's important to remember that and bring it back to those longer appeals. Not everybody will be engaged throughout, but the people who are, it's like, wow, like you brought them that much extra value and got them more engaged with your organization as a result. And it might not necessarily be good for a $30 ask. Me giving you $30 you don't need to give me a ton of reasons. Just 30 bucks. Oh, happy to help. You know, if, if some like Girl Scouts show up to my door and go, hey, for 10 bucks, you can help us out and get some cookies. You don't need to explain what you'll be doing with it versus 300, giving me a bit more of the story and using it as a chance to further explain the ass and the history and the why, but ultimately focusing on the story, I think is, you know, what's important about it all. And maybe how longer appeals can be used effectively. Yeah. And for anyone listening right now, 
if you don't, you know, hit like and give us five stars, we we may go into your home and break in. And <laughs> so, you know, we are all in danger right now. I think that I think that covers it for us, hey, right now. Why do I love these chats, Matt? Um, yeah, no, they're great. And if you like it too, you know, you can send us an email at chunkmail@frontier.io or or of course we are real people that you probably know and can reach out to and if you have any tips, questions, anything that that we can do, it's this is our time together. And just to close it out, frontier.fm is produced by Ben Johnson. He's Matt Hussey and we also have Rosie Everett helping us. Research, like I said, done by Melissa Berghauser and sound engineering, editing, and all sorts of other magic done by Nick Tassell.